0: Welcome to The Lead Podcast, helping you to get it, grow it, and give it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Lead Podcast. My name is Ryan Becker. I'm your host for today, and I am joined by none other than David Franklin. And David, thank you so much for being willing to come on today. It's my pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for inviting me, man. Awesome. So you just finished teaching two seminars. Well, one seminar doubled uh, here at EC3 in College Hill, Tennessee. And so I want to um, kind of go into a more abbreviated version of that today and talk a bit about uh, your experience with community involvement and engagement and, and service. But first, for those of our listeners who are kind of unfamiliar with who you are, give us just a quick, who is David Franklin? Where are you pastoring? All that, all that good stuff. Yep. Um, so I'm
1: married to one wife, uh, Cynthia, father of two children, Malachi and Micah. Um. been pastoring 15 years and currently serve as the lead pastor at Miracle City Church in Baltimore, Maryland. Awesome. And how long have you been there? I've been there, it'll be four years
0: in January. Oh, okay. So almost four years. Yeah, awesome. Yep. So when we're talking about community service, when we're talking about actually getting involved and doing something meaningful and impactful, Uh, what are the first steps that you would say that a church should kind of take when they're trying to think of, hey, we've got this community around us that we're not engaging with, that we haven't really done anything for. What do we do first?
1: Yeah, I think all the work of the church starts with asking good questions. I think we need to ask the the right questions if we're going to get to the answers that really will help not only transform our communities, but also really help us to have thriving churches. So uh, in 2015, when I got to Miracle City, it was Miracle Temple at the time, we changed the name to Miracle City just to better reflect um, the mission that we wanted to achieve. Um, You know, we were asking the question, do we want to be a church that is in the community or a church that is for the community? Mm. And I think that that's an important shift because I think we have, for many of us, I grew up in a church that was just in the community, but not always for the community. And so um, that that was the initial question that helped us to spark what some have heard of, others have not, which was our 100,000 touches campaign. And this was a service campaign, a year-long service campaign where we we really sought to radically impact um, our community through service projects. And so, literally every Saturday morning, we get up at 8, 8 a.m., show up at church at 8 a.m., have a little breakfast for the folks, and then go out to serve various uh, serve our community in various ways. Through projects like Loads of Love, which was a laundry project, Gracious Groceries, a grocery grocery project, and a host of a host of other projects, and Ryan, you know, it was great and um, really allowed us to have um, increase our visibility as a congregation. It allowed us to change the culture of the church where we were no longer just coming to church just to worship but we were coming to church to serve. And that's a big mm. shift. Like we probably shouldn't overlook that or kind of undervalue how significant yeah. it is for there to be a shift between hey, I'm here to get something for myself as opposed to I'm here to give something because of all that God has given to me. Um and so that 100,000 touches campaign allowed us to do that. And that was the kind of the first question that we started asking um, in, in 2015 and then we launched the, the service uh,
0: campaign in 2016. Wow, that's crazy. Um, so when you started this 100,000 Touches campaign, who, who do you talk to first, right? Who in the community do you even look for to begin some of this stuff? Or are you, do you just show up and do? Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a good question. And I think that, you know,
1: I, as I was mentioning in the seminar, that I think we, we had a heart for God. We had a heart to do what we felt he was calling us to do, but we didn't actually know how to do it well. Um, I think we've learned a lot of lessons along the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, you know, I would say now that it's probably best to do uh, some, some level of assessment. I think we can get too uh, complex with these community assessments. I'm not a total fan of the way I've seen some of them done. But anyway, I think you should do some level of assessment to get a sense of where the real needs are in the community. Um, nothing nothing wrong with that. Um, but I just, you know, I, I guess I should say what my challenge is with some of them. Sometimes these assessments can go on for months and months and months, and there's no work being done. Yeah. And so that that's really my my issue. But you should do some assessment ass- assessments of the needs in the community. And then in addition to that, you should do some assessments of the resources that you have within your local church. And somewhere in that, there's synergy. Somewhere between what the community needs and what you have, there is some synergy. And that's often a good place to start. It's like, oh, okay, great. There's a there's a need to you know um, for uh, weekend children's children's programming right. There's mothers and parents are looking for ways to engage their children in a safe environment that teaches them morals that teaches them um, how to be good citizens uh, in the in in their community and they're looking for that environment. Okay, well, well how could we potentially provide that? Maybe we maybe we have some educators or some. Uh, care, uh, you know, child care providers in our congregation that wouldn't mind donating some hours hmm. on the weekends to provide um, that kind of resource to our community. So I think that there is some synergy generally, if you look um, well enough, there's some synergy between what the community needs and what your church already has. But, I'm, and I know you're ready to ask me another no, question. No, no, but I you're wanna, no, I wanna, no <laughs> you're good. totally good. I want to push on that just a little bit because I think there's another side of it. The other side of that same coin is that you don't have to do everything yourself, meaning that as a church, you can partner with organizations who are already serving the community well. Other nonprofit organizations that need extra manpower, they need. They would love to have five, ten people show up to assist them in serving the homeless or to uh ensure that they are uh working well with uh uh to to care for um um you know a, a lot of cities have these adoption uh, excuse me these uh programs for foster kids to engage in on the weekends and so they would love to have 10 or 15 volunteers show up to better support that project, right? Mm-hmm. So you can look at organizations who are working in the community already, they're doing that work well, and then come alongside them and add to what they're doing as part of a way to get started, to get your feet wet um, as it relates to serving your community.
0: Wow, that's awesome. And I think, too, it, if you're partnering with a local organization, chances are they've figured out a lot of the stuff that you would have to on the way. Right, So you, you can leverage some of their resources and some of their knowledge as well. I, um, when I was in my last district, that was something that we did. We partnered with a few nonprofit. We even had uh, the mayor come at one point and speak to the church and talk about his plans for the city, um, because that helped us kind of know where he was focusing, and maybe we looked elsewhere. Or maybe we partnered with him and looked where he was going to. And so um, there, there are definitely ways to leverage what other people are already doing and jump on board with that. Um, absolutely yeah absolutely agree with you so um so talk to me about the four pillars uh what are they why are they how do you how do you engage with them um talk to me about these four pillars that i've heard you talk a lot about
1: yeah so again everything i think begins with asking good questions and so we started asking the question do we want to be a church in the community or a church for the community and that was good, but then we started asking the uh, the question: Do we want to be a church for the community, or do we want to be a church that's transforming the community? Mm. And that's an important shift um, because you can be a church that's you know doing some good work, but there's no transformation happening. And so we we started exploring: Well, how can we how how can we have transform? How can we uh, do work in such a way that it's actually producing transformation in the community. I mean, I literally started thinking, Ryan, I'm like, man, I want to drive down the street uh, that my church is, you know, is is on the cross street of my church and be able to look and visibly see a difference in five, 10 years, 15 years because of the work that the church has, has doing. Mm-hmm. So we started benchmarking uh, this organization called Purpose Built Communities uh, uh, 20 years ago, 25 years now, actually, I believe. Uh, East Lake, Georgia, was a uh, one of the worst communities in the Atlanta metroplex. It had all the key stressors: uh, high teen pregnancy, high dropout rate, low reading scores, low test scores, lack of access to quality um, uh, uh, food, uh, uh, you know, healthy vegetables, produce, oh, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and so they had all terrible housing. You know, just th- the list goes on and on. It was a challenged community. Gentleman by the name of Tom Cousins went in that community. He was a philanthropist, had some dollars to uh, to spend, and he said, "You know what? I want to see my the 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 my the dollars that I'm giving make a lasting impact." So he said to folks who had been requesting, "Hey, could you help us?" In the he's like, "I'll give you money if you come and work in this community." And so the very long story short is that 25 years later. They have a cradle to college pipeline where they're literally able to track children in that community from six weeks old all the way until they are successfully enrolled in college. Wow. they have a, have quality mixed income housing so that the that there's not just rich people and uh, and poor people separate they're actually living in the same environment so that's uh, we can talk about that more but that's a that's a real key into ensuring that a community is whole, where it's not just you kind of like a separate socioeconomic groups and everybody kind of lives in their silos. There's a real advantage, there's a real health to those who are in, at different socioeconomic levels living in the same space. Hmm. So they have mixed income housing. They have um uh health and wellness uh, um uh, uh, they've been able to ensure that health and w- uh, wellness opportunities are available to the community members through ensuring that there's two YMCAs that are in that community um and now they've started this economic development piece where they're raising up entrepreneurs in the community so it's pretty cool man what they've done in 2025 20, years and so we were like man why isn't the church doing that <laughs> <laughs> for real yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so we said, well, we want to be a church that's transforming the community. And we started moving in that direction, developing some projects and developing um, a, a better plan, really, to ensure that we're actually being part of the transformation. And one of the things you know, I like to give this example, because it helps to, to see how we didn't have everything figured out right. Like, so, mm. um, again, I just want to encourage anybody who's listening. If you don't have it figured out, that's not a reason not to start but you gotta keep wanting to improve. And I think we get stuck doing well, this worked, this felt good, this was nice, and it got us some attention, or you know, I don't know if folks are looking for attention, but you know, it, 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 it's that energizing thing. You did a project and it kind of brings some energy and you think, well, we've, we've captured the mountain. And no, you need to keep asking questions to figure out how you can serve the community better. So we did a community baby shower, gave out 30,000 diapers, uh, uh, we gave out, uh, you know, a host of, uh, uh, other resources, pack and plays, um, um, strollers, baby carriers. We had folks from our local university, University of Maryland, who came and did, um, lessons on breastfeeding and car seat, um, installation, proper car seat installation or use, um, and a whole host of things, a beautiful event. But what we learned is, is that that was still just meeting an immediate need. It wasn't a transformative event. Mm-hmm. So we decided. Well, let's add a mother's class, a year-long mother's class, to this event, where mothers come to the baby, the community baby shower, but then they can sign up to actually be part of a year-long mother's class, where they are learning about appropriate bre- bre- breastfeeding. They're getting um, information on mental health, where you know pers- postpartum depression is a mm-hmm. big deal, um, and so they're they're able to essentially go through an experience for a year that really helps to build their capacity as a new mother. And I think this is the shift, Ryan, regardless of the four pillars, but the four pillars are important because mm-hmm. those four pillars that I mentioned, which let me just review them, education, housing, economic development, and health and wellness, those four areas in a community must be, must be appropriately supported if you're gonna see community transformation, okay? So we're like, that's what we wanna do, but in order to get there, you have to empower people rather than making them dependent upon you. And I think this is the age old idea. Do you teach a man to, do you give him a fish or do you teach him how to fish? Hmm. And so what we wanted to do was not just give mothers diapers, but we really wanted to begin to say, okay, how can we ensure that mothers are empowered to be able to care for their children well, and then that they know where the resources are to get the support that they need to improve on whatever deficiencies may exist during their early stage, uh, early stages of motherhood. And so I think that shift to figuring out not only how I can just serve people, but how can I serve people in a way that empowers them to
0: be able to take care of themselves. Hmm, that's huge. Okay, so so all right, let's... Let's dive into that because that's a question I was going to ask later. But let's talk about empowerment versus dependency, uh-huh. right? So fostering this, this sense of, of continual need, um, of, uh, you know, continual dependence on the church and instead of empowering people when really what we want to do is empower people, right? So, so talk to me a bit about the difference between those two. How do we know when we're doing one versus the other, that kind of thing?
1: Again, I think it's about asking the right question is, does this person— let me rephrase that, does the work that we're doing for a mother or for a, you know, even a homeless individual, you know, a homeless ministry gets a lot of attention when we start thinking about serving. It's like, let's make some sandwiches and bring bring them some some clothes and, and, and that's good. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but how do we empower that homeless person to ensure that after they've they've been able to benefit from whatever programming we're providing, whatever events we're doing, that in six months they're able to get out of that program and move on to the next step. Can I give you an example of yeah, a yeah. gentleman named Billy? So and we can't even take credit for this, but this is when I started to realize the value of empowerment. So we used to go out and you know again early on and serve hot meals on a corner where there was a lot you know a high homeless kind of population-high gathering of of homeless individuals. And we partnered with a local restaurant, and they agreed to come down there on Saturday mornings and provide hot meals to uh, uh, homeless individuals. It was a great experience, whatever. And there was a gentleman by the name of Billy, used to see him regularly, and then we didn't see him for a while. And finally, he showed back up. Well, Billy had been able to get access to a program that allowed him to get in transitional housing. But that program wasn't just about transitional housing. It was also about helping him understand whatever gifts uh, or talents or skill sets that he had that could be used for employment. So he goes through a, a three- or, or, or six-month process where he's learning you know, you know, what he's good at and also learning some skills, additional skills to support that. Then somewhere in that process, they also connect him to, uh, to an employer. So now Billy goes from living on the street to transitional housing to learning his, you know, where his skill set is, being able to utilize that skill set to get employed and get a check. Somebody say amen. Wow. And, and then he he told he, he, he moves from that transitional housing to a, uh, a initially it was a um, an apartment that was subsidized, but he was able to move from that subsidized apartment to a regular market rate uh, apartment because also when he was in transitional housing, they taught him financial management. So he was <laughs> able to save up his dollars in order to ensure that when he got that, that, that first employment opportunity, he wasn't just you know spending it wildly, but he was understanding the value of being able to save and build up for his future. So I said all of that wow. to say that that's what empowerment looks like, man.
0: Yeah, that's, absolutely.
1: That's, you know, Bill, Billy, so Billy came back down. The reason why I know the story is because eventually he came back down. And he He's telling me now, as we're back out there serving, he's telling me what's going on in his life. And he's like, yeah, man, I got to come back down here so I can help someone else mm. experience yeah. what I experienced. And Ryan, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are they going to hear it better from me? Or are they going to hear it better from <laughs> Billy? Right.
0: Absolutely. Right?
1: He's now empowered not only to live a better life, but now also to go back and empower others. And his impact will be exponentially greater than yeah. any impact that I could ever have on that community. And so I think we need to look at that. And, and, and I think the other thing that helps, and I'll say this, and I'll, and I'll be done on this point, but, but the other thing that helps, Ryan, is we got to play the long game. We got to play the long game. That, that journey with Billy it was a the 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 fullness of it was about uh really t- took about a year actually not a, not i a think about it or a year or more and and given what he went through that's a short period of time yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> yeah that's that's a short period of time but but the point is is that When we're in it for the long game, when we're looking to empower people, when we're actually trying to say, how can we transform this person and not just have them, you know, keep coming back down for a free hot meal on Saturday mornings, but how can we uh, put them into a process or a program that allows them to get to the point where they're able to take care of themselves and then pour into other people? That's when I believe we've moved from programs that produce
0: dependency to programs that produce empowerment. Hmm. That's huge. That is a Amazing story, but you know, one time I did give a sandwich to a homeless person, so I think I'm pretty great. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's incredible. Um, thank you for sharing that. And and kind of, I guess on that point, I think it's it's a gripe I've had with kind of short term mission trips too. Um, but but really, kind of short term service in general is this idea that that we end up going, and the the biggest report we usually hear back from that is, oh, I'm so much more appreciative of what I have, right? And and so this kind of chain thing of even even giving meals to the homeless, sandwiches, whatever, pack of socks, doesn't matter. Um, this idea that we've built ourselves up rather than built up those people. One of the things I've heard you talk about is is building reputation versus restorative work. And I think there's kind of a place for both of those things. Um, so can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit and and help people figure out like, when is it okay to be building reputation? When is it okay to be ditch the, the relational capital side, spend it, and actually do some restorative work? Yeah, so I think we ought to look at it
1: as a continuum, right? The re- reputation, and I'll explain what that means, reputation building work gives us, the re- in your, your language is exactly what I use, is it gives us the relational capital to be able to do restorative work. So let's take the example of giving a homeless person a sandwich. So we give that homeless individual a, a sandwich, which allows us to build a relationship with that individual. It also, if we tell the story well, allows us to build relationships with individuals who want to support that kind of work. So be it local community officials, be it members in your congregation who will never get out and serve, but will be willing to donate for that kind of work. So that's good. It it it, it helps you to realize that life is not is not all about you. It helps a church, particularly, to realize that the church is not all about them. But it really begins to kind of prick our hearts to say, "Hey, you know what? There's there's a greater work for us to do, and we got to go win those who uh, those who are in need of not only the gospel of Jesus, right, but the love of Jesus, which is inherent in the gospel. But I separate just to add emphasis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that. The, the, the love of Jesus, the actual, the, the, the visibility of Jesus is another way to say it, so that they can actually see the work of Jesus um, visibly. Um, so we give them the sandwich, right? That builds us a, a, relation, a relationship with that individual and with others, as I just described. And then we're able to say, well, you know what? If, you, if you've trusted us here, will you trust us because either we have a transitional program or we know of a transitional program. And then we make that bridge from giving them a sandwich to getting them connected into a transitional program that we have vetted. We've done the work as a mm. church to vet that that's actually, it actually works because every program that claims to be transitional for, you know, homeless, a homeless individual, sometimes is just, you know, some of those organizations are just there to get, you know, fulfill their grant. Yeah. dollar you know get more grant money and that kind of thing but you know we've taken we've done the time we spent the time to to evaluate hey this program's really solid and we're going to also then do the work to say okay because you trust us billy or because you trust us jane or because you trust us Derek, we're going to not only give you this food but we're gonna we're gonna ask you to just just try this program and we'll 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 get you a uh, a ride there. We'll, we'll make sure that you can help fill out the, pro, the, the application, but we're going to make that, that, that connection point for you. I think the difference between reputation building work and restorative work is you, after you have built your reputation and, and, giving somebody a sandwich is the, that, that's what you, what you said, you said it right. That is, uh, you know, you walk away from that, often saying, "Man, I'm so grateful for what I have." And man, I feel like I got more out of that than yes. they did. And that's true. You did. And so, <laughs> if you if you if that's your response after you have done a service project, then I think you probably need to understand that what you're doing is reputation building. It's a it is it is more about you that it is about them. And again, that's not bad. You just shouldn't stop there. All Mm -hmm. right. Then the restorative work is work that you'll be able to look back on and say, man, the life of an individual or the quality of a community has been statistically changed once you have completed that work. So Hmm. restorative work says Again, going back to the four pillars, that we'll be able to look at education, and using the example of Eastlake, we'll be able to look at the educational environment in our community and say, you know what? After the the, the five years that we've done our our uh, uh, our after school program, um, we can now say that the reading scores or the test scores in that local school that we've been working in are now changed. They're they're higher. The there's more there's more kids reading. On grade level than now than there were before we started doing the after school program, uh, the home homeless ministry, the restorative work would be man we've actually seen a dip in the number of homeless people who are on the streets in our community, and that's because either we started a transitional program or we were able to connect significant numbers of individuals into the existing. Uh, uh, transitional program, right? Uh, you know, health and wellness, right? If, if, you know, restorative work says, you know, before we started doing this project, before we started uh, doing this program, there was, we lived in a food desert and folks did not have access to fresh produce. But now, since we've been working, there are now uh, folks in our community are able to access Fresh produce on a regular base basis at a rate and at a, a, a price that they can actually afford. I, I hope you're tracking. Yeah, there. no, that, no, yeah, absolutely, that, absolutely, that absolutely. It's, it's restorative work actually is able to to stand back a year or five years later and actually see a a a a, a, a transformative change, a systemic change, statistically in some of the stressors that have previously yeah. been in the community.
0: So it's definitely it's it's measurable. Like the, the results are absolutely tangible and, and long-lasting, and I think that's awesome. So thank you for that, that kind of delineation, that difference between the two. Um, and now I want to switch gears here a bit and, and rewind, and, and we'll kind of wind down with, with this and then one more question, um, which is this. You've talked about service, and you've talked about what if we were a church that was for and, and for transforming the community, uh, but you've got to become about that. A lot of the churches, our purpose is just to show up to worship, and not show up to serve and you've, you've taught you've touched on this and I hope you kind of get where I'm going with this because there's a, there's a phrase you've used that I don't want to steal from you um, about feel your free. about your purpose well about your purpose yeah uh-huh. right yeah, about yeah, figuring yeah. out what your purpose is and yeah. and uh, I think the, the phrase you use clarifying your why that's right so so how do we get there what do we need to do to get there uh, you know if, if I'm just a pastor in a local church and, and working with my members how do I rally them around this and and shift gears to be able to serve that community.
1: Yeah, Ryan, that's so good, man. Um, yeah, I, I, I have said, started saying that more than ever before in my ministry, which is you know, uh, uh, we, you've got to clarify your why. You've got to clarify the reason why you exist. You've got to clarify. Um, and, and, and that can seem so uh, ethereal or nebulous. Um, it can also seem like work that has already been done. So it's like, wait, we've been in existence for 30 years or 50 years or whatever. Why now do we need to clarify our why? And, and I think the reason is is because, again, if, if, if we're not asking the right questions, we will not have the right outcome, and we will not ask the right questions if we don't understand the reason why we exist. Hmm. And, and that's what clarifying your why is all about. Either you exist to build the kingdom of God or not. Mm. And, and if you as a local church uh, uh, exist to build the kingdom of God, then I think we can begin to get towards actually creating churches that are, are life-giving and community transforming, right? Um, but, I, but I think you asked me, where does it start? Listen, this has to be in the pastor's heart. It's got to be in the pastor's heart, man. It's got to be, or the pastor has to be sensitive enough to that when a community uh, church member kind of brings this to his attention or her attention, that that, that pastor is willing to respond in a way that's, that's supportive of actually being a church that really just wants to build the kingdom of God. And um, and so, yeah, so when I talk about clarifying the why, there's just this idea that, that. If we do not know why we exist, we will continue to find it difficult to successfully reach our, our community and do it in a way that is also sustainable. Hmm. Um, and I think that, uh, so I think that, you know, when, once we are, once that why is clarified, then we can move forward to do, uh, do the work. And I think it has to start with the pastor. The pastor has, has to have in his heart, have in her heart that my purpose here is to reveal the image of God in the community that I've been placed in. And if if that's where you begin, then you can often get to, I think, answers and programs that will uh, uh, transform the community over the long term.
0: Hmm. That's huge. And I think, too, There's a lot of people that would say, well, that's all social justice or community service, and that's not, you know, worship related or anything like that. And my, you know, my first reaction to that is, what do you think the kingdom of God is going to look like? (laughs) Is it going to be segregated, whether by race or socioeconomic status or by gender? Is it going to have people struggling and suffering, or is it going to have equality and and opportunity and... um, and really just joy and peace for everyone involved in the, in the, in the kingdom of God. So I think that's huge and, and absolutely vital. Now, I'm sure there are people that are listening to this that are going, all right, this was great, and I wish we would keep going, but I need more of this. So what books, what resources, where, where would you point people to, to to continue digging into this topic, continue trying to figure out where their heart is, and if their heart is if a spark has been lit, well, where, where do they go next?
1: Yeah. So let me say this one piece, and that is, yeah. is that the the it is important to have a church that wants to transform the community. It is also important that you have a thriving church that mm, wants to transform yes. the community. Yes. Because once people come to your church, they actually need to find an environment that's welcoming and loving, like the experience that they had while you were serving out in the community. Too often the people who want to serve are those who go. And then the folks who come to church as a result of those, those service touch points, um, once they come to church, they meet the rest of the congregation who may not be quite as loving yeah. or, or or kind as those who are out on the street, right? So, um, so I think it's important that you have a thriving church, a life-giving church um, that is interested in transforming its community. And I think that then you'll you 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 kind of have both sides of the coin. So just to be clear, I want to just make one thing clear. I'm not suggesting that that uh having a uh engaging um uh, worship experience is not important. Absolutely it is most it is absolutely it is is important. In fact, I you know I said this in the seminar that I think if You know, I, I, well, let me just say it this way. I told my congregation that, look, if you've been listening to 20 sermons, I mean, 20 years of sermons and you still feel like you've got to get to church so you can hear another word and it's all about you and you're not willing to say, you know what, I can, I can actually serve on, serve on the greeters ministry today because I'm, I've, I've got 20 years of sermons built up and I need to share somebody's love with, you know, Mm. show someone love with a smile or I need to, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that we still think church is for us and I'm just convinced that church is not uh, meant solely for people who already know Jesus. It is meant for those who don't, those who are far from God, those who are in need of his grace, those who are in need of direction in his life. And if that main worship experience was really focused around how do we help to build those who are far from God into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, I think it would look very different than it looks now. You asked me about resources, a couple that I would name right off the top. There's a book by Robert Lupton called uh, Charity Detox, um, which I think is great. There's another book uh, that's similar. It's called When Helping Hurts, and that really gets down into empowerment versus dependency, both of those books. Another book that I'm reading right now is Hero Maker by Dave Ferguson um, and Todd Wilson. Uh, excuse me, Hero Maker is by Dave Ferguson and, um, and Warren Bird. Uh, those, uh, that book is really talking about how you begin to build leaders to ensure that the vision of the church is fulfilled. Um, And that's been one of the key shifts for us, is just to learn that, hey, whatever dream God has put on this house to reach the community, it's gonna happen through people. The Bible says that the harvest is is ripe, but the laborers are few. And I think that if we give our attention to raising up laborers, raising up leaders, then the harvest is already there, it's waiting on us. We just need to get out and Mm. do it. so that's three resources. Um, I, there, there's probably some other books that um, are have been useful uh, to me, but those are the ones that I would offer at the moment.
0: Awesome. Yep. David, thank you for this. This has been beneficial for me. I know it'll be beneficial for our listeners, but I just really appreciate you uh, for taking the time to do this and, and have this interview with me, man. Uh, blessings to you. We'll be praying for you as you uh, continue your travels and continue your ministry.
1: Man, thanks for having me on, man. It's been great.
0: Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to The Lead Podcast. My name is Ryan Becker. I'm one of the co-hosts and producer of this podcast, and we really appreciate your support. If you want to subscribe, then you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, any of your favorite podcatching apps. And if you do subscribe on iTunes, then we just ask that you please leave a review. That really helps us out to know what we can do better and the things that you are already enjoying, the things that we can continue doing. Make sure you do subscribe and leave a review because we're always doing giveaways. And that really uh, that's the way that we do it, is we do it for those who have left a review. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback for the show, you can email us, leadSUpodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, Roger Hernandez at LeadSU, and myself at Ryan180Becker. Thank you guys so much for listening and supporting. Without you, this is not possible. We'll see you next time.